This week on the Sundance Site Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about the season four finale, season four, obviously episode 10, The Children, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Alex Graves. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, uh, editor-in-chief of Sound On Sight, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, welcome back. Hello, Kate. And uh, joining us this week to talk about the finale, and I would imagine quite a bit of season four in general, is Abel Allegria, a former producer of Fade to Black. Uh, Abel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, first, uh, as we always say at the top of the podcast, to get it out of the way, never fear. There will be no book spoilers for the, for uh, within this podcast. We will keep it strictly uh, this episode and everything that's come prior in the series. We will also discuss about discuss the things that happen in the books that are represented on the show. We will not get into things in the books that are not represented in this the series to this point, which means I'm going to have to talk around a very significant thing quite a bit don't worry i will talk about that thing that all us book readers know that they want me to talk about probably uh but we won't have any spoilers so listeners do not need to worry about that i have read the books uh ricky has not read the books abel what is your relationship with the song of ice and fire uh i have not read the books um although i was an unfortunate victim uh to spoilers uh, from the internet but uh, that's just about it. Okay. Well, that is our, our that is the fun of the internet <laughs> from time to time yeah. with the stuff. Now, tell me that one of the things you were spoiled for was that the thing that everybody was freaking out about not happening in this episode. If you know what I'm talking about, then probably yes. If not, then it must um, not be. No, I I don't think okay. I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Okay. I'm talking about what actually happened towards the end of the episode. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, I um, do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's a big one. Well, uh, lest we get too annoying here, let's let's uh, dive in first. I'd like to normally, of course, we start with our guests, but before that, I do want to first ask Ricky because you weren't able to be on the podcast with us last week. If you wanted to give us your brief reaction to episode nine, uh, Watchers on the Wall. Wow, Kate. Um, it was hard listening to the podcast last week. <laughs> Where was the enthusiasm? Where was the enthusiasm for what was one of the greatest hours of television? Like, holy shit, that was freaking amazing. Loved the episode. I'm just joking around. You guys did an amazing job without me. That episode was just brilliant. Did you know that that long tracking shot that we get about, like, think 45 minutes into the episode... It was done in seven takes, but there's no CGI in that take. Like, it's purely extras, people fighting, like hundreds of extras fighting, a bunch of ADs, and Neil Marshall just doing what he does best and just having that epic sweeping camera going across the battle. Um, there was giants. 
There was giant elephants. There were more giants. Um, everything about that, that episode just completely worked for me. I wasn't a big fan. I will agree with you, Kate. I wasn't a big fan of the final scene with Ygritte. Um, just didn't have the emotional power that I think it should have had. But all in all, I love the episode. And in my review, if you read my review over at soundsite.org, I didn't just rave about the action. Uh, what I loved about the episode was also the quiet moments. Like, I, I think, you know, like the episode is like what, 50 minutes long, I think, and about 45 minutes is pure action. But the like 10 or so minutes that we get of just people talking is once again well written, well acted. I love the scene between Jon Snow and Sam early on in the episode. I especially like Sam's conversation with Meister, what's his name, Meister Amon? Yes. Yeah, in the library, who also reminds us that he's actually Targaryen, which I completely forgot about. And also he talks about the love of his life, which I thought was really interesting because I kept thinking uh, or trying to guess who he's talking about. Like, is it Lady Stark? Is it Melisande? Is it just someone we don't know? Um, hey, come so on. I... Queen of Thorns. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? I don't yeah. know, but I mean, no, come on. Why not, right? Okay. I, Who's of an age? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, 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 that was one of one of my uh, one of my suspects. Um, yeah. Anyways, I just loved loved the episode. Like again, you can read my review over soundsite.org. So uh, I thought it was fantastic, and I um, you know I recently posted my list of the 19 best moments of season four. And I just decided to take the entire battle and consider it one giant long scene. And that scene, The Watchers on the Wall, is clearly on my top five greatest moments of Game of Thrones season four. Are you trying Absolutely. to kill me with that with 19? You couldn't couldn't have rounded that out to a nice happy no. 20? Okay. No. I mean, I could have. I could have, but I just, <laughs> just didn't feel like it. Just being difficult, making me twitch over here. I like round numbers, people. I'm, what can I say? Well, let's let's get to the actual episode of the hour, the children, and and Abel. Uh, what did you think about this episode? Obviously, as we've mentioned, you had certain elements of it spoiled for you, but did that affect your enjoyment of the episode, or were you able to to just go along with the ride, even knowing what maybe was going to be coming? Well, it's 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 always interesting because you know that the last episode of of every season of Game of Thrones is somewhat a little bit more subdued, is sort of pointing us towards the uh, the next season. So you kind of, uh, I mean, I was kind of prepared for for a more gentler ride, uh, considering all the action that we had on the previous uh, episode. Um, having said that, though. Um, no, I, I, I had those, a couple of spoilers, but no, it didn't really, it, it didn't really affect my, my viewing experience, uh, of it. Um, but at, at the same time, I'm just sort of wondering about the execution towards the end, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, when we get to that, I'd like to hear your reactions. Mm, do I hear disappointment? Uh, I wouldn't say disappointment. I, I, it's just cause... Uh, maybe because it's and this is the the the, the spoilers uh, fault, I guess. I just imagined it a different way. Okay, and it, because it's already aired, let's just throw it out there. As long as it's already aired, we can talk about it. But don't spoil anything that I don't know about. No, of course, we're only talking about something no, already no. aired in the episode. So, Abel, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm specifically talking about Tyrion uh, killing Tywin, and. Oh. Uh, 
so I, I, I don't know because I, I sort of got the impression that in in the books it was something uh, that was a bit more sort of passionate, and um, and it sort of added to uh, the many sort of like character flaws that uh, some of the characters that we love uh, might have, and I felt that the the moment was a little bit sort of subdued. But then again, I haven't read the books, so I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly if, if you know, if there was much of a variation between what happened on the show and what happened in the books. I mean, as a book reader, it really worked for me. And, yeah, I, I thought it captured the sentiment. And I really, you know, when you have Charles Dance and Peter Dinklage sharing a scene like that, it's going to be great. And they, I thought they did a wonderful job. I see what you're saying about it being subdued, particularly because it, it came after... That at least that portion came immediately after the scene with Shay, which was so emotional and heartbreaking, and uh, so in react in, in comparison, it may have felt more subdued. But also because just watching the clock, I you know it was out already after theoretically the episode would have ended. The episode went particularly long that, uh, uh, for this week, so that may have contributed to it as well. You're expecting maybe it to tie up, so it felt like. I don't know. Did it feel like to you, Ricky, um, because it was so late? Did it feel rushed or did it feel like it didn't get its full due? Okay, hold on. Remember I told you guys I wrote up a list of the 19 best scenes of season four, 19K? Yeah, I'm being a little um, disingenuous because I already read it. <laughs> okay, number two is Tyrion's Rampage. Holy shit, man. He just went postal. Like, A Storm of Swords is full of many surprises, but Tyrion's Rampage totally ranks as the most unexpected for me. I could not have ever guessed that he would kill Tywin or Shay because he's in love with Shay. But Tywin, I mean, I, I listened to your podcast last week, Kate, and you and Mo Ryan were talking about how the, the problem with episode nine was it wasn't really much of a game changer like, say, Blackwater. But I actually liked the fact that it wasn't a game changer because I wanted the finale to be the game changer. And holy shit, is a game changer. Tywin's dead. Tywin is dead. Who the hell is going to lead the Lannisters in King's Landing? It's sure as hell not going to be Cersei. You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, Tywin's dead. Varys is gone. Littlefinger's gone. Who's left? I mean, but Tyrion's gone. Like, who's smart enough to lead King's Landing? To me, that's the biggest game changer of the series so far. And I, I, I do think, yes, the moment with Shay is clearly the emotional moment. It's, it's heart-wrenching because he strangles her. And I can't remember the last time I actually felt bad for a cold-blooded murderer. I mean, like, seriously. And just hearing him apologize. And then when he continues to hunt down Tywin, and he's got the crossbow in hands, and I'm like, holy shit, no way. And like you, Kate, I was looking at the clock, and I was like, they're going to cut it. They're going to cut it, you know? And they didn't cut it. That was my second favorite moment of season four so far. Yeah, I... I thought it worked very, very well. And this is the fun this is the fun thing about being a book reader who does a podcast about this show every week with a non book reader. Remember back mm -hmm. when we went to the Iron Bank and yeah. uh we had that conversation, what happens when Tywin dies? I yeah, was yeah. I was doing a little <laughs> inside. <laughs> also also uh, Tyrion like, as he's pointing the crossbow at Tywin, he continues to ask him, why? Why would you want me to take the fall? Like, why would you say I'm guilty when you clearly know I'm innocent? And I thought we were going to get, like, a reveal where Tywin or Tyrion figures out that Tywin was somewhat involved in the assassination of King Joffrey, because I still think he is. Like, I think clearly it's Littlefinger and 
and um lady elena and mark uh, yeah exactly and possibly the viper because of the poisoning right but i could swear that tywin was also involved and so there, there was like this bit of a pause and i thought we were going to get the reveal and we don't because he just shoots him because he uses the word horror again it was yeah cool. yeah i i don't know i don't know if i if 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 i sort of like agree or 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 believe that he had something to do with the uh, the the death of of Joffrey. If anything, I felt that in this episode, what's revealed about Tywin is that he's sure he's ruthless. Sure, you you want to hate him. Uh, he's manipulating uh, man- manipulating everyone, calculating. But uh, you know, but everything he does, he does for his family. And really, one of his biggest crimes is just being a negligent father. I'm not like when at, towards the end when he when he says did you did you really think I would let you die, I I sort of questioned it you know I'm 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 I I was kind of asking the same question would he have allowed Tyrion to die, I I, I don't know I I thought it was I had always sort of a tough time uh, reading Tywin as a character and I think that that's what sort of made him great. But, but do you think he really did everything for his family and not for himself, not because he's selfish, not for his legacy? Oh, absolutely no. He's a selfish, uh, he's a selfish bastard. Pardon my French. Um, but but uh, I don't see him as the the sort of character who would kill off his own family. Hmm. Well, he's also in denial. I mean, Cersei yeah. clearly admits that she's sleeping with Jamie, and therefore King Joffrey and Tommen and everyone else is J- Jamie's children and not King Robert, right? And he's just like, he knows it's true, but he doesn't want to admit it. He doesn't want, he's like living in denial. And then the fact that she admits it right before he dies and then to have his son kill him. I mean, like, I do love Charles Dance and I'm going to miss his character, but there's an overwhelming amount of joy in watching Tywin, like, have his children turn against him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I actually enjoyed the scene a lot when Cersei uh, actually tells him because uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but because the couple of seconds before the scene ends, Tywin has this priceless look on his face where it's he suddenly realizes, uh, you know, that it's absolutely true. Um, and, and so you see the, that's sort of the first defeat that he has. And then the second one is of course, when, you know, Tyrion actually shoots him for the second time. And you sentenced me to die. You knew I didn't poison Joffrey, but you sentenced me all the same. Why? Enough. We'll go back to my chambers and speak with some dignity. I can't go back there. She's in there. Are you afraid of a dead hawk? You shot me.
Well, and the the thing I I really appreciated about the scene when I first read it in the book, and then seeing it here again, is uh, is that that it's so completely undignified. He shoots him on the shitter right after finding out that his father is the, is is the biggest hypocrite you can be with all of his anti whore, anti prostitute, uh, you know. Just his constant uh, harassing of of, Ty- of Tyrion about about his women, uh, mm-hmm. and then he's he's sleeping with he's sleeping with Tyrion's woman. Yeah, in, in that same moment. First of all, how fucked up is that? And secondly, it, it's just such an interesting nuance and sh- and, and level uh, of shading to add to the character right as he's being killed off. Well, it seems like the old world is dying, like to the point where the old warriors are almost all dead. I mean, who do we have left? We have Stannis. I mean, Ned's dead. Tywin's dead. You know, Mance Raider is pretty much almost dead. He's at least right now captive. He's held hostage. Um, but who's left aside from Stannis? I mean, even Dura is sent away. We have Barristan um, Selmy. Yeah. Barristan Selmy. Sir Barristan Selmy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, but yeah, but it, it just seems like it's like every it's this is a game changing episode in every single which way possible. I mean, this felt like a series finale to some degree. Like I can actually stop watching Game of Thrones and be totally satisfied with the first four seasons. You know, like if you told me, you know what, Rick, season five and six are going to be terrible because the books are terrible. I'll be like, OK, I'm ready to quit. That's how good this episode is. I think, I mean, when they promised that this would be the best season finale, they weren't kidding. Like this is clearly the best season finale so far well i was very excited when i realized just from the episode titles what the finale would have to be unless they were going to follow their usual pattern and push a bunch of stuff to the next season and just looking at the way the season was laid out it didn't make sense to me for them to do that for them to push off of what we get with aria what we get with um well, the reveal we get with with Littlefinger, which actually comes in episode eight, but still to push off uh, the the death of Tywin, a num- number of other things. It, I knew it either had to be an action packed, significant, uh, game changing, like you say, Ricky finale, or it'd be completely unsatisfying. So I was very glad to see them take a different approach this season. Last season, I was frustrated with the last episode of the season. It didn't, didn't seem like it needed to really exist. It didn't didn't function well structurally within the season. This this season, it's I'm much happier with it. Uh, before we move on to some other parts of this episode, because there's so much to, to discuss, I do want to take a moment to talk about Shay, because mm-hmm. the, she she dies in this episode and Absolutely. Um, in a significant and memorable way. And this is how she dies in the book. And I've been saying, I'm, Ricky, I'm sure <laughs> you're tired of me saying it, but I've been saying for quite a while on this podcast that because of the changes that they had made to Shay, the fact that they really deepened her, they made her uh, have what felt like a very, very deep relationship to with Tyrion, a uh, very deep affection for him, and to make her a much uh, more cunning and loyal, and uh, you know her connection with with Sansa as well for for a while, they were much more protective of her. I had did not know how they were going to handle the end of her arc both at the trial and here because it didn't feel like the story from the books fit with the Shay we had met. Was this reveal of her sleeping with Tywin and then when she sees Tyrion, 
not talking to him, but going for a knife. Mm -hmm. Did that work for you guys or did it feel like a character betrayal? Um, It worked for me, but I'll tell you why it worked for me because I'm unclear as to whose room he was walking into. Was he walking into Cersei's room, Tywin's room, his own room? Tywin's room. Okay, because the thing is when he starts walking down the hallway, I thought he was going to go and kill his sister. And then he walks into the bedroom and there is a, a lady naked on the bed, but we can't really see who it is. And so I thought it was Cersei. And then when we hear her say, Tywin, my lion, I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, no way. Oh, no, you didn't. And then, you know, like we get the scene in which he murders her. But the thing is, like, he murders her because, you know, his whole entire life, people have been shitting on him and treating him unfairly. He was so, so madly in love with Shay. But I also think he murdered her because he really didn't have a choice. Like, if he let her go, what would she do? She would run and call the guards and he would just be, you know, put back in prison and eventually assassinated. So it was kind of a combination of desperation. It was a, a crime of passion. You know, it was a bunch of emotions going into, into Tyrion at that very moment. I mean, this is a guy who has a big heart. Like, he's actually a really good character. But I don't think it's so much a character portrayal because I never fully believed that she loved him the same way he loved her. Like, I think she liked Tyrion to some degree. Like, I think she really liked him, actually. I do think that she liked Sansa, but I never really fully believed that, you know, she would be with Tyrion if, say, he wasn't filthy rich, you know? Like, she was clearly after him for his money and power. So... To me, it's not really a character betrayal. It's interesting for me. Mm. Uh, it it felt, I it seemed uh, really straightforward to me that he reason he kills her is because she goes for a knife, and she doesn't just talk to him. If she had, you know, been like, oh, I thank God you're here. You're, you know, like if 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 she had tried, if she had honestly talked about how she didn't have other choice and all the mm-hmm. stuff, then I think I don't think he goes to to kill her. I don't know, Abel. What do you think? I don't know. I'm I'm really on, on the fence because I kind of uh, agree with you. It it seems to me that they fleshed out the character. They made us feel a certain way about the character. Um, and and then the turn is sort of out of you know a uh, right field. I'm not quite sure. I I I bought it again. It's like you said. She goes for the knife. Now, my question is when she developed sort of this, uh, you know, so much hate for Tyrion to actually just, you know, kill him on sight, uh, I felt maybe it was just, you know, because they didn't want to um, allow, you know, that inevitable conversation because then it wouldn't make sense to kill her, you know. Um, because if, he had, if she had had a conversation with uh, Tyrion, I I don't see how he could have killed her. No, he in, couldn't. Uh, in in the sense of how she was built up throughout the uh, because she starts out. You're right, Rick. She she starts out as you know she's she's a prostitute. She she knows what she's getting into. But then they sort of reveal that you know the prostitute with the heart of gold kind of thing where you know the genuine love. Um, but then I feel that maybe it would be four or five, maybe four episodes back, they start sort of distancing um, from her. And yeah. Sir, but can I just remind 
everybody that she already betrayed Tyrion at the trial. So to me, it's not a character betrayal because it's not shocking because we've already seen her betray Tyrion. No. And, yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, like that's what I'm saying, Kate. She reached for the knife. That's why I said it's an act of it's a crime of passion, but it's also an act of desperation because she reaches for the knife. Now, that doesn't mean that she's going to kill Tyrion. She reaches for the knife because it's an automatic reaction. She doesn't know what he's thinking. You know, clearly she knows he's going to be angry because now he discovers that not only did she betray him, but she betrayed him and also is sleeping with his dad. And so she's got the knife, and now he has to react because he can't, you know, let her get the best of him and maybe stab him and or call for the guard. So that's what I mean. It's like they're reacting on the moment, on the spur of the moment. And that's why I think... You know, it's sad, but he was able to kill her. Like, I think if they had some kind of conversation, if she didn't reach for the knife, then he wouldn't be capable of killing her. He's like, he did kill her in cold blood, but, you know, because of the situation, if that makes any sense. Uh, I would agree with you, Rick, if it wasn't for her expression. Now, if she had gone for the knife and she had had sort of like a scared uh, sort of expression, mm-hmm. then, um, yeah, you know, it's a misunderstanding. You know, one sign of aggression leads to another, and he ends up killing her. But, Kate, did it not look like she was, you know, actively furious trying to kill him? It. She looked fierce, not scared. That's yeah. how I would describe it. Yeah, but but then is it a problem in acting, in the directing, and the writing, a combination of all three? I don't know if it's a problem. It's just it feels like a different character. But I I need to think about it. But I think because it's not clear-cut, like we don't know, it's sort of ambiguous, that's why it works. Because we can't just say, yeah, she wants to kill him. And we can't just say, yeah, he wants to kill her. Like we don't know. This is how it just happened because of the situation. This is how it unfolded. But we don't know what their clear, immediate um intention it was well and the other part of it that and and remind me is this just a book thing or am i conflating the two was this in the show as well or was it not in the book and i'm conflating it uh the the necklace the gold chain that that he ends up strangling her with was that that was a gift from him um when she and and he and she he gives her a gift and she she says you 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 bought me chain. You bought. You literally just bought me a chain, to say you're. Oh, you're not. I, you're not my servant. You're not just a whore or a prostitute. Here, have some chains. Uh, so that was just a nice, you know, another painful bit of symmetry that I really appreciated. I could mm-hmm. be making that up. Do you guys remember anything about that? Uh, no. I I I think I vaguely remember some of those um, sort of like er- earlier sort of arguments. Um, but I didn't make the connection until right now, uh, though I, I wouldn't be able to tell you if it's the same chain. I don't know. But that yeah. would be nice symmetry, and I wouldn't pe- put it past them because uh, they are very careful with that type of thing. Well, and the other thing I do want to mention about this scene before we move on to the many other things to talk about is I feel like that may actually be the shot of the episode for me, that two shot on him and her afterwards especially the tight one before they pull back. It was just fantastic framing a wonderful performance from the actors, of course, but just the, the, the patience of it, just how, just how tight it's framed, how long they hold it. The, there's, I, I want to say there's like no score there. It's just silent. It sits in that moment and it's just horribly beautiful. 
there is a score and i think if you're going to get that tight of a shot for that long you need a fantastic actor and that is why peter dinklage is still in my opinion the best actor on this show yeah absolutely and that's saying a lot yeah it it certainly is okay where where do we want to go next well since since we started with the end of the episode why don't we circle back to the beginning we're okay. moving we're moving sort of in in reverse right yeah well, no, we're not moving in reverse. We're starting at the end. We're going back to the beginning. Circling back around. Circling back, yeah. John Snow's your boy. What'd you think? John Ricky? Snow's my boy. Uh, Bran Stark's my boy. I just well, like yeah. John Snow better than the average person. Um, John Snow, I mean, this is the weakest. And I'm going to use the word weakest, and you're going to like hate me for using the word weakest. Okay, this is my least favorite part of the episode. I still think it works. I do like the giant battle and that aerial shot that we get. But the thing is, he goes out to meet Mance Raider, and then all of a sudden, Stannis shows up with his army to save the day. And that was just a little too on the nose for me. Well, especially because hmm. it's how the episode starts. It feels like a deus ex machina. It's like, it, it comes out of nowhere. It's not like it's, you know, the middle. And that is how it happens in the book. And it's like, you, you realize you haven't had a a Davos chapter in a while and you're not you probably that sad about it even though I do like Davos um and then all of a sudden he comes he comes in and it is very convenient doesn't necessarily make any sense um but what I'll say about the opening of the episode is that I really appreciate how it takes all of the everything that we got in episode 9 that really built up John and made him a man capital M bold face <laughs> and then it puts Kit Harrington next to the real men and says, oh, you're adorable in your fancy coat and everything, but shush, Kieran Hines is talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but I like the discussion between John and Mance Raider, and I like the way he even asks what happened to Ygritte, and then they drink to Ygritte, and I like the discussion of honor and vows, and, and the entire sequence to me, when they are talking, works, and it serves as a great start for what is a very busy episode. Um, my only problem is, and it's a minor problem, nitpicking is the fact that Stannis shows up out of the blue and seems to have no problem in fighting Mance Raider's army, which apparently has like 100,000 people and giants and giant elephants and so on and so forth. So I was like, where's the giants? Where's like the cannibals? Yeah. 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 And again, I, I guess that's because of budget, right? I mean, they just did the most expensive episode. Like episode nine was the most expensive episode of the series so far. So they didn't really have it in the budget to give us another huge epic battle sequence, but it just seemed a little too rushed. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a weird beginning. I really did um, appreciate the, the, the conversation that they were having. Uh, I love the framing. I love the fact that it was so tight and obstructed. It, it made it feel very personal. Um, and in a sense, I also enjoyed the, you know, the whole talk about um, who's dying and drinking to it, because I think it sort of reflects back to the attitude we should have while watching the show. We should just celebrate after a character dies, <laughs> have a couple of drinks, whether we like him or not, and say, here's to this character. We won't see you again, but you certainly made our lives more interesting. Um, so, yeah, I did not really like that part. Um, I agree with Rick. Uh, the whole uh, Stannis arriving there uh, confused me. I, I mean, I was under the impression that he didn't have a big army. So how is it that he could fight off uh, 
hundred thousand? I don't know. Yeah, he he has very few troops, but keep in mind uh, he has very few troops when compared to the the Lannisters and the um, the Tyrells. Uh, when compared to a hundred thousand wildlings. Uh, m many of whom, as we recall from when John went in, he's got a, a lot of non-fighters with him that are part of that group because basically they're clearing out the north because they have they're running away from the White Walkers, and so it's children, it's the elderly, it's everyone. So a hundred thousand people in a hundred thousand people in that group in that in that army is not necessarily a hundred thousand fighters. Yeah, well. The thing is, last week when I was listening to the podcast, you and Mo Ryan mentioned the fact that we had that big, giant shot of the wildfires in the background. And I didn't understand why there was a giant fire in the background. And then you pointed out the fact that they're just burning the land because for them, there's no turning back. It's symbolic. Like they have to move forward. They have to get past the wall. And that's it. That's all. And in this episode, we're reminded that Mance Raider, it's not that he's like... Um, it's not that he just wants to go to the north to kill everybody. He just wants to go to the north to be behind the wall so they can survive because winter's coming. You know what I mean? He's doing it for himself and the people. And so that's why I really like the conversation between him and Jon Snow, the fact that he actually offers peace. You know, I did not know this last week. So last week when I was watching the episode, I was like, wow, this is epic and great and beautiful, but I'm not entirely understanding why there is giant fires in the background so now it made total and perfect sense that's why you know it's like he's willing to to sort of crack a deal with Jon Snow and I do believe Mance Raider that if Jon Snow were to let him into the wall I think he would try to uphold the peace but I'm not entirely sure they can especially with the wildlings running around I mean it's, I can't imagine what they would do once they get into the wall you know what I mean like mm -hmm. It's like a huge chance that he, he would have to take. But, um, yeah, but I, I, it made me really, really like the character of Vance Raider a lot. Like, uh, I want to see more of this character from now on. Well, that was mm -hmm. the other question with it is we haven't seen him in a long time. We didn't see him at all last week. Didn't make sense for us to not see him, and but yet we didn't. Probably, I'm guessing that's a budget thing uh, with with having to pay the actor to just kind of stand and lead an army. But, um, but yeah, I'm glad. When you have Kieran Hines... He makes an impression, and that certainly helps. Anyone who hasn't watched Rome yet, if you like Mance Raider, Kieran Hines is is Julius Caesar. He's amazing. He's wonderful. Watch Rome just for his performance as Caesar. Um, he's a fantastic actor, and there's a lot he can do with just a little bit. I hope we get more of him. We'll we'll see what they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's a pretty good show, and uh, he's fantastic in, in, in Rome. But uh, I just want to quickly, before we move on, just say, once again, Alex Graves does an amazing job directing and directing action. Again, that wide bird's-eye view of Stannis' army closing in, which is fantastic. I, I love the fight choreography. Um, I love the shot where uh, as Stannis is approaching Mance Raider, there's one of the wildlings that tries to attack him and then someone just swoops in on, on horseback and just totally takes him out. Cavalry yeah. wins, guys. Cavalry wins. The the overhead shot did was very impressive. It did, though, kind of remind me of playing Warcraft 2 a little bit. I have trouble with those overhead <laughs> shots when there's a lot of CG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right with that. 
Um, but uh, overall, I, I thought it was it was it was pretty fair. It was not my my most. Um, uh, let, let's just put it this way: it's not. It, it, there's another part of the episode that was my least favorite, and that's the part that is coming up. Yeah, the okay. skeletons. Are we? Shall we jump there? Is was it the skeletons for you? Because it was the skeletons for me. No, not actually. It wasn't the skeletons for me. The 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 part that I that I did not like uh, was Daenerys. Daenerys's part, and it's not that I don't like it. It's just that. Uh, I feel we've sort of been seeing the the slow progression um, for quite some time now. So I, I I always say that this show has what I would call the um, the King's Landing syndrome, which is there's always one part of the world that suddenly slows down and um, development becomes a lot like it becomes a lot slower. And so again, we have her in in the in the throne room, and we have this you know very sort of emotional uh, farmer who brings in the uh, the dead child, and she realizes that she doesn't have you know full control of her dragons, and that sort of leads to the scene with her um, locking up uh, her remaining dragons or the the ones that she has in check, um, but before that i feel that it's sort of just a repetition again we have the throne room again we have sort of like the the the, the slow development of her uh slowly realizing very small and obvious details uh i i don't know i, I wasn't a big fan of of that part um i don't know how you guys felt i thought mm. it suffered from not having enough time in the episode from being part of a very full episode if that had been if that reveal of the child had been at the end of say uh the, the the scene the one of the scenes where we saw her dealing with a number of of claim of people coming in to talk with her or, or claimants to mm -hmm. um you know, then i think it would have been much more effective because it, that that is how it's treated in the book and when i read it it was devastating mm -hmm. when i watched mm -hmm. it it was it was like that's sad there's nobody else there that day, I guess. Um, and the, instead, the devastating moment was I absolutely felt when she locked, chained up her dragons. Uh, that was that was uh, very emotional for me. But the actual reveal of the kid was, was not. And that was disappointing because yeah. that was one of the absolute standout memorable moments of the book for me. Ricky, how did th those two scenes work for you? Well, I totally agree. The... The sequence in which the man brings the bones of his daughter like did not work for me. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It just didn't have the emotional punch it should have had. But man, I thought the scene in which she 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 has to chain her two dragons. I thought that was heartbreaking. Like to me, it kind of I kind of made me think of like I don't know, like a man or uh, someone who has a dog and the dog bites someone and they have to like put the dog in a leash or put the dog down. Like it was kind of like a similar emotional reaction I had. I just thought it was heartbreaking. I, I know they're dragons and I know they're not real and they're CGI, but I couldn't help but just feel so bad for the baby dragons. And also because Amelia Clark's performance is amazing. Like uh, it's one of the better emotional moments of the series so far for her. And she's acting to nothing. I know, exactly, <laughs> right? But it's also because it really reminds us that she is young and she's not 
necessarily ready to rule. She's going to make mistakes. She doesn't have control of the dragons. She doesn't have control of the city she's ruled. And it reminds me of what happened on the first episode of season four, where, you know, we are notified, or she's at least notified, that she doesn't have the control of her dragons by Jura. And it, it reminds me that, you know, Jura is really vital <laughs> and important. And, like, you know, without him around, she's uh, she's kind of lost. Like, she seems lost. She, 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 it's, it's a, it, I mean, she's at the point right now where her people aren't happy. They want to go back to being slaves. Her dragons are in chains. And her best friend and advisor is now gone because she sent him away, like because she found out he was initially a spy. Like, I mean, it's not looking good for, uh, for Danny right now. Um, now, can I, can I point out that I do appreciate that th the reason why they put um, these two scenes together, I mean, you, you mentioned it right now, Rick, um, you know, the old man convincing her that he had a better life uh, as a slave, uh, you know, sort of the, the the symbolism and the thematic of those two scenes put together, you know, uh, she she's freeing people from chains, and now she has to allow this subject to go back into chains, and then she has to put her, you know, effectively her dragon children into chains. So I appreciate that 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 they have that there for those reasons. I just didn't think that it that that it worked out uh too too well. Well and this the thematic through line of the episode, the children, was really effective for me, as it is whenever they have that strong tie connecting every every bit of the world we saw that in the climb we saw that in a few episodes over the course of the series but it's very strong here and that's a big part of why this episode is so successful for me mm -hmm. yeah. yeah we talked about this uh, back in episode three how the best episodes have a theme that connects just about every single scene in the episode but also we also talked about how you know she didn't really have control or understanding how slavery works and her showing up at uh, at the gates of the new city each and every single new episode and giving delivering her big speech isn't going to solve anybody's problems. It's a lot more work than just delivering a speech. And that's why I sort of still appreciate this scene. I, I agree it doesn't work. We don't get the emotional impact that we should, when, mm -hmm. but it just didn't work. And maybe the, one of the reasons why it doesn't work is because we had so many scenes of people approaching her in, 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 in the past few episodes. I'm not entirely sure. But it wasn't a deal-breaker. I don't think it was a terrible scene. I just don't think it was as effective as the scene with her and her dragons. Um, but I'm going to agree with you, Kate, if we can move on. My least favorite scene of the episode actually revolves around one of my favorite characters, Bran Stark. How does it have... How does Bran's... How do Bran's scenes this week have some of the absolute best visuals and some of the worst? And I love Ray Harryhausen. I have a big spot in my heart for Jason and the Argonauts. I should not be thinking of, of Jason and the Argonauts when I'm watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's true. That's all I kept thinking. I kept thinking of his work and also of Army of Darkness. Like, I like the idea of an army of undead skeleton, like, attacking, but I wasn't sold on the CGI. And one of the things we've talked about all season long is how the CGI has has improved and also the production values and just, like, the landscapes and the set design and and the costumes, but in this episode, man, the CGI just does not work, especially when we get, like, a little kid throwing, like, grenades. I was just like, what is going on here? That was not working for me. Well, but, again, for me, 
yes, the CG is a problem, but the bigger problem is actually it doesn't make sense within the world. So if it's a skeleton and it doesn't have anything connecting its bones, there's no tendons, there's no muscles, there's no flesh remaining on it, it needs to be controlled magically by something. That's what that's what makes it. And there's nobody there controlling it. So why is it rising? <laughs> well, I thought it was magic. I thought magic was controlling the skeletons and that's who, why who they... was controlling the skeletons i don't know you're a book reader it's, yeah this I, is not in the book i, I mean but, okay so without going into the books i i do know that in the books they make a difference between um the the, the you know what what we're calling the white walkers and wraiths and what we're calling undead i know that that difference exists in the books and and there might be a little bit more explanation in the books towards how magic works um but yeah it 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 it, 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 it that was sort of a question of how because if there were already skeletons they are moving around maybe i would have understood it better but the fact that they just sort of popped out of the ground at the least opportune moment yeah it it it, it seemed a bit much i didn't have a big issue with um, with the CGI itself, I mean, it was, you know, fairly decent for what uh, the series has had in the past. Um, the special effects were essentially on par with what we've had in the past. Um, what? Those, like, skeleton dudes running around? Yeah, some of the earlier uh, CGI effects of the series weren't, you know, terribly great. You know, it's it, it wasn't something that made me want to turn it off you know it wasn't amazing but it it wasn't too too bad well maybe but i just felt it looked at a place with the whole mm -hmm. entire world of westerns yeah. but yeah. before we attack the cg too much let's also say that tree was gorgeous the tree yeah the tree was great i like the three-eyed raven how it turns into an old man beautiful that's the the blood raven i mean the but the cg of the tree i thought was absolutely gorgeous the cg of the dragons really worked for me in the cave uh, you know, when they were chained up. There was CG this week that really worked for me. The skeleton, the skeletons did not. But, but you know, yeah. like, everyone loves Hodor. And the thing about Hodor, I like his character, but I think what makes him so much more awesome is because Bran can channel him. Like, he can get inside his head and he can control him. And that's why I like the combination of Bran and Hodor. Like, yeah. what, what I love about the series is these odd combinations of characters. Like, you know, you got Brienne and Pod. You got Brienne and Jamie, then you had Arya and the Hound, and even Bran and, and Hodor. Like, I mean, that's what I liked about the scene. So despite the fact that I wasn't big on the look of the skeletons, I still like the fact that we get to see Hodor, like, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree. I have a very big soft, uh, soft spot for Hodor and the Hodor possessed by, um, by Bran. Um, uh, combo it, 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 that that was sort of the entertaining part of it for me uh, and it's what sort of got me through that little bit do you think it would have been better if it was actually just like zombies like sort of like undead like you know with flesh for me yes but uh, you know that's that's me but then they couldn't have been as active and they wanted them to be able to like fight you would have had to set up the scene a bit differently maybe they would have like been almost frozen corpses and you know they suddenly you know sort of reanimate but then they would have been like white walkers mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but it, again, it's like what I'm saying. The, the show sort of confuses a lot of notions. Well, now, and I don't know that they really needed there to be a fight scene there. Well, yeah. it's because Jojen has to die, right? I mean, well, he, had he doesn't premonition. have to, but well, but he, he sort of did because we had the premonition like three or four episodes ago. So if he didn't die, then that whole sequence like four episodes ago was useless, and that means then that's kind of disappointing because it means that if we can't trust these visions, then Bran Stark's vision means absolutely nothing, and Bran Stark's vision is is to me one of the most intriguing and mysterious things of the show. Like when we go back to that sequence, uh, I forget what episode it was in, but when Bran Stark has that trippy vision and we get to see dragons flying over Westeros and we get to see the Iron Throne that sits empty, you know, that whole trippy sequence. I mean, that's what I assume we're going to get in season five. Like, um, so, and that's one of the reasons why I said this, I said this many times in the past, why I like the character Bran Stark, because he sort of offers some sort of hope that maybe some of the good guys will win and become victorious in, at the end of this big, long journey. And also, like, he gives us, like, small hints and clues as to what we can expect in future seasons. Well, I, I would just say I agree with you, but there are many ways that someone can die on this show, and they don't have mm -hmm. to die via their sister cutting their throat so that they won't have to fight, be, be painfully killed by skeletons. They could die from exhaustion. I mean, he's been looking like he was on death's door for several episodes now. Um, yeah. There's a lot of ways you can kill a character. And again, I'll point out this is a significant departure from the books because in the books, he's still alive. And I, I'm, yep, I'm fine with it. I don't, I don't, you know, if they're, they're going a different way. That's fine. I don't, I don't, my problem with this scene is not that Jojen dies. It's how. Yeah. But I like Jojen. Yeah. Why so would they kill him if he's not dead in the book? That makes no sense. That's maybe just, he, you just maybe he's very angry. Wait, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's dying in real life, Rick. Don't say that. Don't say that adorable little kid from Love Actually is dying in real life. No. That's, that's horrible. That's the adorable little kid from Love Actually. I've just blown your mind. Uh, what about the rest of the... Do we want to talk about the Blood Raven at all? Yes, the Blood Raven. The Blood How Raven cool. is so cool. The tree is so cool, but the Blood Raven is so cool. And I, I like how he tells Bran Stark, he's like, no, you're never going to walk again, but you'll fly. I've been many things. Now... I am what you see. My brother, he led us to you, and now he... He knew what would happen. From the moment he left, he knew, and he went anyway. How do you know? I've been watching you. All of you. All of your lives. With a thousand eyes and one. Now you've come to me at last, Brandon Stark. Though the hour is late. I didn't want anyone to die for me. He died so you could find what you have lost. You're going to help me walk again? You'll never walk again. But you will fly. So it's again, it's this wonderful blend of adherence to moments and and diverting in other paths. And I feel like that's a great way to take us to the most amazing fun experience while watching this, which was that fight with Brienne and and uh, oh. the Hound that is not in the oh. book at all. What? It was oh. yeah, Brienne never inter intersects with Arya. 
Oh, that's it's it amazing. was amazing. <laughs> Are you kidding? It's me? amazing. It's easily my favorite moment just because I already knew the other parts, but this part I had had no idea was going to happen. And um, I had sort of that viper in the in the mountain moment where I was like, oh, they're going to kill someone I like. Oh, oh. And so I was sort of on the edge of my seat when I saw the fight. Okay, wait. So this scene is not in the book. That is amazing. Now, Kate, ask me what my number one scene on my list of the 19 best scenes of season four of Game of Thrones is. Rick, what's the number one scene on your list of the 19 best scenes from season four of Game of Thrones? It is Brienne versus the Hound. Holy shit, that was amazing. The first thing I did when the episode was over was I tweeted about how it reminded me of one of my favorite movies, They Live, by John Carpenter. The fight sequence in They Live features Rowdy Roddy Piper, whose character is named Nada, by mm -hmm. Keith David's Frank, in this epic brawl in the middle of like an alley, which lasts, like a, I think, like about 10 minutes long. Um, and the fight sequence, even though it was choreographed, it just felt so organic. It felt like Don Carpenter just told these two actors to just go at it and kill each other. But this fight sequence was amazing. It was brilliant. Like, I thought this was, hands down, the best scene of the season, the best fight sequence, the best everything. And I was just, like, standing up. I could not believe what I was watching. I was watching two of my favorite characters kill each other. And, uh, yeah, it, it just the way it begins with, like, two soldiers showing off their skills and their swordsmanship and the technique. And then it just goes completely bonkers. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. The Mike Tyson uh, moment was incredible. <laughs> um, uh, it was so, so ruthless. And, honestly, I, I did not know what to expect from it. And that was simply amazing. Well, and my favorite part of it is not actually the badass epic fight. My favorite part is that Brienne figures out who Arya is. Nobody else, Tywin, didn't figure out who Arya is, but Brienne figures it out because she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also I love the little conversation she has with Arya, like where she's trying to you know, persuade her to come with her, and so she kind of compares her journey and her growing up and her childhood to Arya, and she talks about Lady Stark and how she made a promise, and she's trying to connect with Arya, but Arya's just not having it, you know? Um, that was great, and I love the way the Hound just looks at her, and he's like, uh, what does he say? He says, there's no safety. And if you don't know this by now, then you're not the person you should be watching over Arya. Because this is probably the first time in his life where he actually fights for uh, a, a, with, with good intentions, like a good reason, because he actually cares for Arya to some degree. And he wants to protect her. And so the whole exchange between the Hound and Brienne, Brienne and Arya, and then what comes after. Holy shit. Did you have tears in your eyes? No, no, I didn't. Really? <laughs> no. I love well, hounds. I, I, I knew what to, what to expect from that scene, so that that informed it. But of course, in they never inter those those two groups never intersect in the books, and so the the in the books what happens is the wound that he won't let her dress festers, and he becomes weak and uh, and and like basically starts to collapse and he's gonna you know die of his infection, and that's and then we get that that scene with with Arya. I, I want to say that she stabs him actually because he's, Whoa, he's okay. weakened just, and, and she stabs just, him. But... You just spoiled something. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Because no, I didn't. I, I said I it's different. 
I wasn't convinced the hound would die. I, d- I didn't say that he did. But you no. just said he died in a book. No, I didn't. No. I did okay. not say he does die. I okay, said he's going to. Yeah, he's clearly going to die. Most, most likely going to die. But most that's, likely. But... You know, so, but Arya in the book and in the show, Arya leaves when he's still when he's still kicking. On the way out, but still kicking. And we don't know for sure. It's kind of nice that they left the the two clicking brothers uh where you you kind of know that they're gonna die but they don't actually show you that that they die wait the mountain's not gonna die and by the way i called it i called it because I, I think last week or the week before i said that i was convinced that the prince would use poison on the mountain while fighting him and yeah. Sure as hell, I was right again. So I'm just proud of that. And no, no, but he used poison, and he's good as dead. And um, well, no, because we got evil sorcerer walking into the room that's going to yeah. change him and turn him into some kind of monster. For all we know, that's it. So he's dead. He's not Clegane anymore. He's going to be a monster. Oh, you think he's going to come back from the dead, be like the mountain zombie? Well, we don't know. I mean, but he's definitely not going to be the mountain anymore. That's for he's- sure. You're saying that his his sentience or personality will have will no may, mean that while it you think he may still be alive, it will no longer be that same person. Yeah, well, because it's it's directly hinted at um, by the uh, the what you call it. What do they call these wizards on this uh, show? Uh, the the maester. No, no, the maester. Maester. The fl- the flunky maester. The crazy maester says. Uh, by the way. If I do manage to somehow save him, he's not going to be the same. You see, because I thought he was going to cut off his leg. Like, I thought maybe he got poisoned in the leg and he would cut off the leg so the poison wouldn't, you know, spread. But then at the end of the conversation with Cersei, he says he's not going to be weakened. So I was like, wait, wait, if you cut off his leg, he's going to yeah. be weakened. Yeah, so he's going to make him, he's probably going to make him into some sort of monster. But he's going to turn him into a giant bear. He could be a giant bear. I mean... Look, he could be some sort of like Frankenstein monster for all we know. Yeah, bear. Um uh but yeah, but the mountain is dead. The character, the alive the alive character of the mountain is is dead. <laughs> the alive character of the mountain is dead. Yeah. <laughs> that makes gonna, no sense. We're gonna get undead. Did we get yeah, we did get a bear. We got Brienne fighting a bear. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, he's definitely going to come back as some kind of, like, monster. But that's why I'm not convinced that the Hound is dead, because I think we're going to eventually have a scene with the Hound reuniting with the Mountain. And Mm. I'm pleading the fifth, so I'm just sitting over here twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, Kate Kate knows, so we're just going to speculate. On that note, uh, I, I do have to address something that you guys don't necessarily know about, uh, but I do. And I will not spoil anything again, never fear. But for the book readers out there, just a, a, a brief moment of what the fuck? They did not include something that I've been waiting for them to include since like season three. <laughs> and um, I was very stunned and disappointed that they chose to not include it. It felt like such a, it is the, the last moment of the third book and it's an amazing what the fuck moment. And I was so looking forward to your reaction, Ricky, even more than I was looking forward to seeing it on the show. I was looking forward to watching your Twitter feed 
as so you wait, watched it. So there could have been one more WTF moment in this episode. Yeah. Wow. Bigger I than any any of the other ones. I would even say times two or three more WTF than anything in this episode. Uh, so, yeah. Well, wait, but it, but is it coming? Is it coming, though? Is it something that It's going to happen at out? some point. No, it's definitely yeah. happening at some point. We just don't know when. Um, so, yeah. And so the fun, kind of fun thing about it, though, is that unlike every other big climactic moment in the show where you have a bunch of non-book readers going, oh, my God, and all the book readers going like, uh-huh, this time it was all the book readers freaking out <laughs> and all the not-book readers just, like, looking at them like they're crazy. Uh, so I kind of enjoy the reversal there as much as I really. And Lena Headey's Tumblr made us think it was going to happen, too. Ah, and then it didn't. So... Wait, who's Tumblr? You know, <laughs> Lena Headey? She, like, she posts spoilery kind of things. Oh, like, no, if you no, know... No, no. I'm not you... following her. Yeah, well, don't. You don't want to... Well, this, you wouldn't know what it meant. The okay, that she so put wait. So Sansa yeah. finally gets eaten by a dragon? Something like that. Oh, my God, that'll be the best. <laughs> you, you know what, though? though okay, Abel, actually, you're not a book reader, so here's here's my guess. I okay. think there's maybe possibly five characters who are untouchable, at least until the very end of the series. And I think Jon Snow is one of them. I think mm -hmm. Bran Stark is clearly one of them. I think Arya is one of them. I think Sansa is one of them. And I think Tyrion is the fifth. And Danny, so there's six. Those six characters cannot die. Uh, I think... That it's only three. Um, I think it's Danny, Jon Snow, and uh, Tyrion. But um, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Sansa is a different character now. She's uh, she's she's definitely auditioning for the role of uh, of Maleficent. Maleficent. <laughs> um, <laughs> What whatever whatever her name is, um, so we'll see her as a Disney uh, character next season. Uh, she might die. I don't know. Um, we just have to see. And Arya is going to um, Bravos, where uh, God knows what's going to happen to her. Now we didn't talk about Arya's other scenes. How was that inscrutable stare for you guys? And that last scene with the hound. Oh, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. That, too, made my list of the best scenes of the season so far. I mean, I'm not entirely sure why she left them hanging. Like, was it because she didn't want to show mercy? Was it because she just, at the end of the day, couldn't actually kill him? Um, maybe because she thinks that there's still a hope that he might be able to survive. And so she's given him that chance, even though it's most likely that he's not. Um but I mean, just her cold stare was brilliant. Uh, I, I just, I, I really felt for the Hound and I loved the exchange between him and Arya. And I loved how he just started begging for her to kill him and everything about that scene worked. Yeah, that's amazing. You, you, I mean, precisely everything that you just said, the reason that we can't really read uh, her intentions, that we can't really read why she did it is what makes it so great. Uh, everyone can sort of read it their own way. Uh, and it, it sort of ended perfectly. I, I, I think that's how it should have ended. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great scene. I can't have been the only person thinking Princess Bride when she's like galloping on this snow white horse over these lush green hills. 
Come on. Somebody else had Storybrooke love in their head, right? Yeah, but we talked about this two weeks ago. I haven't seen Princess Bride since I was a child, so yeah. I don't really remember the movie that well. Yeah, I, I, I just remember seen, loving it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, too. So I yeah. know it's your favorite movie, right, of all time? Yeah, I just have it memorized, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, going back to that final scene of the episode, obviously the book readers like myself were going, yeah, 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 ship, yeah, yeah, pretty, whatever, let's get to the scene we all want to see. Uh how was did that work for you guys as a final scene? How was we we leave we leave the season on a theoretically optimistic note? She seems excited. I think it's very optimistic. I mean, the fact that we know that Sansa is in good hands uh, now, Arya is heading to Bravos, and she seems like she's finally heading somewhere where she might actually find some sort of happiness. We got Tyrion on the ship and also i like the fact that varus he like he looks at he looks at king's landing he hears like the sirens and he's like fuck this <laughs> he's like there's no turning back now <laughs> he knows that if tywin's dead like the shit just got real and he's got to get the fuck out of dodge so <laughs> i like how he just gets on the ship um no i think it's a very optimistic ending probably the most optimistic ending we've had so far for any season finale of game of thrones yeah yeah i would agree yeah uh, I mean, unless, uh, Kate, uh, Arya gets – the thing that you're talking about is her her ship getting attacked by a giant kraken. Kraken. I think kraken. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I was okay with it, yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess that will be my last question for you guys before the end. Is there anyone that you missed this week that you would have liked to have seen – Maybe if they had more time, I don't know. But is there anybody that you were disappointed that we didn't see? For example, any of the Krakens, any of the Greyjoys, or or Peter, uh, Littlefinger, that is, or Sansa? Is there anyone you would have liked to have seen? I actually think that is one of the reasons why I love this episode so much. It's because I I got a chance to see all of my favorite characters. And I do like Littlefinger a lot, but I mean... I, my favorites are Arya, Bran Stark, you know, Tyrion, and so on and so forth. So, no, I was completely satisfied. I wasn't missing anybody. And I got to say, Kate, I do like the ending because we didn't need one more WTF moment for the season. Like, they could save that for season five, and I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, uh, on on my end, I think I, I sort of stand... Uh... Uh, with the same opinion. I feel that, if anything, maybe we could have cut back on a couple of characters that we didn't actually need to see uh, and flesh out some of the um, more memorable characters. Um, but, yeah, I actually didn't miss anyone. I think uh, it was pretty good. But you know what, Kate? So my list has 19 great scenes, but you are telling us there's a scene missing. So there you go. It's not my fault. It's the writer's <laughs> fault. I was seriously expecting, like, it to be a post credit scene. I was like, wait... Okay, okay, wait. Maybe they'll do it. They'll do like after the credits because in the book it is an epilogue. You know that that would be it would it would be kind of cheeky, but it would make sense. It would let us end the episode on an optimistic, you know, very like going off very finale kind of moment, and then we have this just WTF. Oh, now you have to wait X number of months kind of moment, and then it didn't happen. I know, but it totally ruined my list. Totally ruined it. <laughs> oh, you know, the thing is, uh, if you think back on season three and how it ended, especially after the Red Wedding, a lot of our quote-unquote heroes died. And in season four, the way it ends, it's most of the villains die. Yep. Or There's somewhat villains. certainly yeah. some, some symmetry there. Yeah. And again. Well, do we have any final thoughts on this episode or uh, or the season as a whole? Um, I just want to say that this was probably... Um, 
one of the most intense uh, seasons uh, to date. It was amazing. So many great characters, so many twists and turns, so many disappointments, so much heartbreak during this season. Uh, it was it was a fantastic uh, season. So many great characters. Um, uh, boy, there was there was a lot to take in, and uh, it was amazing. And let's hope that the next season is just as good, or better. Um, yeah, this is my favorite season so far. I think it's fantastic. I mean, just the fact that I was able to write up a list of 19 great moments, which I could have technically made a list of 25 because you know I I combined say like uh Tyrion killing Shay and Tyrion killing Tywin I just made it like I considered it like one scene you know what I mean mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's just such a great season of television it's one of my all-time favorite seasons of television and I know there's a few things I nitpicked about and complained about throughout the year podcasting with you but all in all I'm just completely satisfied with how it started and how it ended and I mean just thinking back on episodes like The Lion and the Rose you know which had the purple wedding and um th- th- even like something small like the Molestown massacre to um uh, god i don't know there's so many the, even like the episode with the white walker remember it ends with the white walker and he's riding the horse and just we just know there's so much more coming and the fact that you are telling us that there's one big huge moment that they left out just makes me excited to start watching season five because that means there's a good chance that season five is going to start with a bang Yep, or at least the premiere should end. Will end that way. But again, this is something that they're really playing with time with these. Like, for example, Brand, what he's doing—that's like book five. Uh, whereas uh, Danny is like book three, and and so, so the characters are at very different points in the in their personal chronologies in the books. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of you know, book four and five basically take place at the same time. So some of the, it's not as disparate as it might seem just based on the book number where the different characters are. But this this reveal, I guess I'll say, uh, is something that they could have done in season three or f- or four. And now it looks like they're going to do it in season five, but maybe they'll keep it for season six. I, I mean, they could be in the season five premiere. It could be halfway through season five. It could be the season five finale. It depends on how they're playing with the timeline because there's a lot of characters. There's a very uh, there's there's a lot going on, and they're going to have to be very judicious with how they split their time. You know what my biggest concern is? My biggest concern is that they're going to kill off all my favorite characters. I'm not going to be as interested and invested in the show because I mean Tywin's gone. You know the Red Viper's gone. Even like the Red Viper, they just introduced this great character and he's already dead. So I think the series really needs to introduce new characters like good characters great characters and uh not kill them (laughs) and not kill them and have like (laughs) continue casting the right people for the roles like for example Melisandre, i believe is in this episode i think i saw her for about two seconds in the background yeah Mm -hmm. you know like Melisandre and stannis that whole part of 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 the story in the world of game of thrones just isn't connecting for me the way it should be um, so they really need to add a few more characters. And I, I, I didn't want to spoil myself. Like I, I noticed a headline on one of the uh, movie blogs and they talked about uh, how the series is going to introduce like several new characters, including some major players. Um, I don't want to know who they are. I don't want to know who's cast, but I just hope it's going to be characters like, you know, the Red Viper, like really cool characters played by fantastic actors. Because, I mean, yeah, they're killing everybody off, you know, like who's going to be left? Absolutely. And Jon Snow, 
like I agree, he's not the, the greatest actor. I still do like his character, but um, you know, I, I just they're gonna need some someone strong in and around Jon Snow's world. Like whenever we get like the scenes in the north, because I mean, like like again, they they're killing off everybody. Like Pip's dead. Like I mean, sure we still got Sam, but I mean, you know, how much can they really do with Sam at this point? Mum, staying mum. <laughs> <laughs> stuff and things, things and stuff. Out of the major players that we have right now, who do you think is going to die in season five? Like, who's your top three to go? My, okay, the ones that I want them to die, or the no, ones the ones, you, most... the ones you think will die. Okay, um, okay, all right. I'll say Cersei. Um, I'll say uh, Stannis, and uh, who else? Um, uh, let's say uh, maybe Jorah. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, the the last thing I have to say about this, and again, Ricky, if you do read the books in the hiatus, uh, let's just let's take a moment to reflect on everything that happens in book three, which has been the last two seasons of this show, because. At the start of book three, we get our first Jamie chapter. So we we don't... Jamie actually becomes a character we care about in book three. And the... Uh, in the last... Again, like I've been saying, all this craziness that's happened in the past season, really, but especially the past few episodes, all takes place in a matter of, like, three or four hundred pages. It's, it, it's an exceptionally entertaining read. Uh, book three of A Song of Ice and Fire, and there's been a lot of really great material for the show to draw from, and uh, they will have to do some little, uh, they'll have their work cut out for them with a few of the arcs in books four and five, is what I'll say, because there's some meandering, there's um, some less successful material for some of the characters, or at least uh, what I'll say is generally considered by book readers to be less successful. Uh, and so, and given, you know, how wonderful their diversions or digressions from the book have been over the course of the series. And we, 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 we raved about that Brienne and the Hound scene. That's a complete uh, creation. I, I trust these showrunners to, to be able to handle it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really fun season uh, watching Game of Thrones and talking, of course, every week about it with you ricky uh, abel thank you for coming on to break down the finale with us where can our listeners find you and your work online uh well right now they can't find me online fair uh, enough <laughs> uh, but uh soon perhaps i'm working on a couple of projects and uh so uh, if everything comes through uh you will be seeing more of me hopefully that's see, that's that's the right kind of tease. That's a Game of Thrones style tease for the future. I like it. Absolutely, and thank you very much for having me. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I love talking about this show. Whenever you need someone to talk about it, think of me. I'll be there. <laughs> Ricky, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Sound On Site. Of course, all of my written work and podcasting is at soundonsite.org. You can also follow me or add me to Facebook and on Tumblr as well. All the links, once again, are at soundonsite.org. You can follow me on Twitter at The Televerse. You can find me talking TV every week with my wonderful co-host over at Sound On Site, and that's on The Televerse podcast, which comes out on Tuesdays. And Ricky and I will be talking a little Hannibal. Ricky's going to come on 
the uh, th- who's going to come on This Is Our Design this summer to talk uh, the Hannibal pilot with Sean and myself. So you guys can look out for that uh, coming up soon here if you want a little bit more TV talk. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. But it's going to be fun. Well, but for now, thank you, Abel, again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a lot of fun talking with you guys on Twitter and at the website and everything. Uh, we will be back next year with another episode of the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. Thank you all for listening. Are we getting close to the bloody gate? About 10 more miles. Do you hear that, Podrick? Only 10 more miles to the bloody gate. Are you a knight? No. But you know how to use that sword? I do. Does it have a name? Oathkeeper. Mine's Needle. Good name. Who taught you how to fight? My father. Mine never wanted to. Said fighting was for boys. Mine said the same. But I kept fighting the boys anyway. Kept losing. Finally, my father said, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. Seven blessings. I'm Brienne of Tarth. This is Podrick Payne. You want something? I'll send Uncle again. The hound. You are your Stark. I asked if you wanted something. I swore to your mother I would bring you home to her. My mother's dead. I know. I wish I could have been there to protect her. You're not a northerner. No, but I swore a sacred vow to protect her. Why didn't you? She commanded me to bring Jamie Lannister back to King's Landing. You paid by the Lannisters. You're here for the bounty on me. I'm not paid by the Lannisters. No. Fancy sword you got there. Where'd he get it? I've been looking at Lannister gold all my life. Go on, Brienne of fucking Tarth. Tell me that's not Lannister gold. Jamie Lannister gave me the sword. The bloody gate's ten miles. I swore to your mother by the old... I don't care what you swore. You had the girl. She's not coming with you. She is. You're not a good listener. Valerian steel. I always wanted some Valerian steel. Come with me, Arya. I'll take you to safety. Safety? Where the fuck's that? Her auntie Neary's dead. Her mother's dead. Her father's dead. Her brother's dead. Winterfell is a pile of rubble. There's no safety, you dumb bitch. You don't know that by now. You're the wrong one to watch over her. And that's what you're doing? Watching over her? Aye, that's what I'm doing.